Welcome to Creative Innovators. Please enjoy this podcast series. It is really about where to take your career. Yes, you're going to be listening to great people who are doing crazy and amazing things across sometimes wide and diverse careers. But it's really a place to get inspired. My name is Gigi Johnson, and I'm so glad to have been building this podcast across 2020, a year that will live in some kind of infamy. But hopefully you've built some ground speed. Go back, listen to past episodes, and listen to all sorts of great directions people have taken their careers in a wide variety of creative enterprises different types of occupations, come join us. And also feel free to go to creativeinnovatorsclub.com, our new space where we're going to be gathering people to take a look at how do I build my next creative career? And we've got new classes for rebuilding your creative career for 2021. Come join us at Creative Innovators Club, and you can see all sorts of great tools that go with this toolbox of creative innovators. I'm excited to bring Dave Bogan to the table. I have been a friend of Dave's for a few years, and I've got to see many facets of Dave Bogan, including his current role as head of third-party partnerships at the MLC, the new music licensing collective, one of the new adventures for 2020 and 2021 for the streaming music world. He's able to bring a whole set of relationships in creative industries, as well as the ability to be and understand and and experience as an entrepreneur, creating music technology companies, creative companies, flipping them in some cases multiple times, and now bringing this into a major organization. So Day is a a great model of how to pivot and change and expand your territory and expand your relationship. So enjoy this session with Day and think about what could you do that combines different people and territories that recombines ideas and looks for new changes in the world that you can build with a creative business. It's the sense of time nowadays is so warped, right? So it's like, when are we and where did we meet and what's going on? And and my first my first memory of you is just being so fabulously diverse and persistent. Yeah, and, and to me, that still <laughs> I, I is after persistent. <laughs> I definitely was persistent. I, I, I insisted that um, young entrepreneurs or or future entrepreneurs needed to take a class like this because I was working with so many young founders like myself, also a young founder, but uh, worked with a number of young founders who were building really interesting tech ideas, music apps, um, social media apps, um, apps for gamification that touched music in some way. That when that touched music, that music uh, required a lot of, uh, for them to understand intellectual, intellectual property implications of how it, it touch their app basically and and understand what it meant to license music and to deal with artists. And I felt that this type of class was needed because um, there were so many computer science majors or, or students who were interested in building apps who didn't have any background or 
experience in um, music industry. And I, I felt that, hey, UC, UCLA had this UCLA Center for Music Innovation, which you um, ran. And I thought this is the perfect platform to offer something like this. And, and you're one of the many people that I know, but one of the most intense ones who are chronically looking for new solutions to bring people together around new solutions. And, and I find that fascinating because you see opportunities where other people don't yet see that there's something coming together. Um, I appreciate that because that's actually been a, a blessing and a curse. Um, as a founder, as a serial entrepreneur, I have uh, come up with many um, uh, solutions to problems that I've identified within you know, the fields that I've operated in and worked in. Um, and those solutions have been warped into uh, business ideas and those business ideas I try to vet into potential companies. Uh, but I've, in the past, I've been too early to the market. Um, and that's generally the case when you have the, uh, you know, someone that's uh, innovative is that sometimes you can be too early to market. Um, it, it even goes back to when I was, um, in my late teens and came up with an idea and a, and a website called donate me now, don't donate me now.com. I built the website and the idea was about people who could, uh, you know, may need to raise money for any given issue, um, will seek donations. <laughs> and obviously partly I didn't have the, the funds and resources to promote it, but I built a website. It had a, it had a website and you could set up, connect your PayPal to it and create a page and run a campaign and get donations. And then, 10 years later, it was GoFundMe. <laughs> so, and, and it's many competitors, right? So, and it's many competitors. Yeah. Right? It, it's interesting. So there was a, I, I've been teaching at UCLA now for 21 years and digital disruption. And one of my favorite speeches was Sky Dayton. After I think he had his second or third not great success after Earthlink, who was talking about how it's like you're surfing a wave and it's just as easy to be in front of the wave or behind the wave as on top of the wave. And a lot of it is that you might see things early and not be at the right place. There's just be too early. And this this whole first mover adoption thing has right. a lot of foibles to it that you want to be at the right time at the right place. So can you, I, I know that you've been an entrepreneur since you were a pup. When was the first thing you started? So the first time I started to make money from my ideas was in middle school. When I started selling cakes that I would bake and 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 play with the icing and add cinnamon to um, the batter and different things uh, for fun, but in and then in high school, I um, started um, making money again off of putting together uh, tours or shopping trips from Cleveland, Ohio to New York. Uh, which is certainly much more of a business than selling little slices of cake in middle school um, and convinced my mom to allow me to to put this together. I was only 16 years old, uh, but I did all the work. I chartered the bus. I made the flyers. I promoted the, the trip. I sold the tickets. I made the itinerary. I you know contracted the driver um, and so forth. So I did all of the logistics in regards to this, this little venture that would make me a couple hundred bucks um, every few weekends. In so what school. did your what did your parents think of this? Are they or were they well, a, a, a entrepreneurs? Both my parents were entrepreneurs. Um, my mom had a full-time job, but outside of that, she was entrepreneurial. 
um, in sort of the fashion retail world. She had a, a small boutique um, where she would go and source um, accessories and uh, um, and then you know s- sell those accessories in her boutique. My dad was an entrepreneur in the music industry, uh, which is what I am now. Um, he had a you know a small record label and, and publishing company and an artist management company and was trying to build an empire um, as a music entrepreneur uh, to find talent, develop talent, um, put them you know, in, in shows and on the road. Um, you know, the traditional, um, you know, small mom and pop label um, operations uh, in the Midwest. And, um, you know, I would see that as a kid, you know, the artists and the shows and my dad traveling and, um, you know, learning the words music publisher and learning the words, you know, record label, um, and not necessarily the business of music, but learning conceptually that these are two different entities. Um, and, and you're a musician as well, right? And I was a musician, a uh, singer put into a group with my brothers. Um, and my dad managed us and wrote our songs and, you know, uh, rehearsed us. Uh, he's, he's also you know, a vocalist, a singer and an uh, instrumentalist. Um, so, you know, we're sort of like, instead of the Jackson five, we're just the, you know, the Bogan three <laughs> or something, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, we're a little group and we, we're, that was when we were younger before we could, um, decide whether or not we really wanted to do this as a poor career. Uh, my two brothers decided no later on. I decided, yes, this, you know, this was a career that I wanted. I wanted to create in the music industry. Um, I continued, you know, through high school, um, pro- uh, training as a vocalist, um, I, it was interesting because my guidance counselor recognized in high school that I had these two parallel um, sort of career trajectories going on. Um, one was my interest in the arts um, as a singer and choir and honors choir, um, as also as an actor, because I also pursued acting and did the school plays and the school musicals. Um, so I had this this creative passion that I had been um, nurturing. But then simultaneously, I was also very much a leader. Um, I was in a number of student groups. Um, I was an officer of those student groups, making decisions um, um, with our uh, our co-officers, took on initiatives um, in school, created initiatives, created programs. So, um, So she was you know, she, I remember her telling me, and also my, my best friend's mom telling me that you're going to be a businessman. I remember saying, no, I'm not. You know, I, I like singing. I like acting. I want to be the talent. Um, so uh, I, but I had these two passions. One I didn't really understand, which was my um, uh, entrepreneurial acumen, uh, the skills that I was developing in my youth that are have been applied to me developing business ideas and me running businesses and companies. Um, and then also this creative, um, you know, um, appreciation of the arts. Um, luckily, I get to bring that together now, um, you know, having built businesses in the music industry where I'm respecting um, music creators and supporting music creators and empowering music creators. So it's, um, it's almost like I was on these two different journeys uh, in parallel uh, until my adulthood and they kind of came together. Uh, where I became a music entrepreneur, uh, building uh, businesses uh, to support music creators and still very much involved in the creative process when I managed artists. 
So before we get to that, I mean, the other the other seed I hear from this part of the story is that you didn't need safety as a teenager, that you were willing to step out of the box and not wait to become something, but were willing to step out and take risks. And you you did several different ventures between when you were a teenager and through the end of college. What how do you how did you even then evaluate the risk of doing a new venture? Yeah, I, I certainly have taken um, on risks in terms of actual economical li- you know, economic liability for ideas. Even in, in, even as a team, you know, I didn't know I was going to sell these you know tickets for this bus ride. I had to need you know, need to recoup if I didn't because this bus is six hundred bucks. <laughs> so um, I always, um, I, I, I guess, I felt that taking on the or trying to materialize an idea that I was super passionate about um, investing in that um, opportunity was much more important um, than the potential loss. Um, I felt that it would it would be more a loss to me not to pursue something that I felt was vetted well. Now I've gotten better at vetting some vetting ideas um, well. Um, and now I teach that, you know, how to vet an idea and look at the market size and so forth. But in the beginning, it was simply, I have an idea. I'm passionate about this thing. Um, I can structure it into something that I can package and deliver to uh, friends and family as a, as, as a service, um, you know, when I was in high school, middle school, or later on as a business uh, when, when, you know, in, 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 my, uh, in college and um, just going for it. I didn't really take the time to sit and think about what happens if you fail. I didn't want to, uh, uh, you know, focus on that. I really wanted to focus on trying to execute, um, trying to execute, and um, hoping that you know the execution, that the outcome is is good. Uh, sometimes it it wasn't, but those in those moments I've learned and took those failures or setbacks as lessons that I can apply to the next thing. Um, to help me vet the next thing better or to help me execute the next thing better. Uh, so I didn't, yeah, so I certainly risk adverse. We were talking actually fairly recently with my class. Thank you for joining and talking to my students uh, that you've sold four companies and started 10. I've started and I did this uh, a couple of years ago on LinkedIn. I, I sat down for a day and I went all the way back to the very first business idea that um that i developed um and the very first you know real business where i started to generate revenue um and there were somewhere between 10 and 15 businesses um and they all sort of fall into the greater entertainment umbrella uh, in, in, in industry because you know some things were um i had a few years that i worked in the event space um, producing, creating and producing events, um, with, you know, DJs or live acts, live artists. Um, I had a promotion company where I promoted venues in Hollywood and Los Angeles. Um, I, so I just had a number of different businesses. Uh, some of those I created while I was in college at UCLA. Uh, as a matter of fact, it got to a point where I was at UCLA and I was making $14,000 a month as a student doing event production and, and uh, club promotions and brand brand activations on behalf of brands trying to reach the college market. 
Um, and I remember this vividly because I was measuring the, uh, the revenue growth that I was doing against my, the change in my grades. <laughs> and so I sat down one quarter because when I started UCLA, when I, when I transferred into UCLA, I transferred um, as an honor student, um, graduated um, you know, with honors from my community college and transferred in and was accepted into the honors college at UCLA. Um, had a 4.0 in my first quarter. Um, just on the dean's list at UCLA. So I was at one point somewhere in my senior year, I sat down, I looked back at my transcript and I was looking at, and I wanted to map my, my grade, my de the decline in my grades and the quality of my grades against the increase in revenue that I was getting, making over time. Um, and it wasn't a substantial decline, but you know, it was from, you go from all A's one quarter to all A's and a B or all A's and two B's or something. You, you, you see that you're, you're still doing well, but you're not, you know, you, it, it was very interesting to me because, you, you know, I was looking, I was trying to understand, I'm in college to develop the skill sets and to develop the knowledge and to apply these things to eventually get a, well, I was asking that question, was it, is it eventually to get the career that I'm currently doing or to advance in the career that I'm currently pursuing as a, you know, as an entrepreneur while I'm a student. So it was just, it was, it was a very kind of, um, uh, excess existential <laughs> time. Uh, but ultimately I felt that, um, you know, I was, I was taking on these risks, uh, like, like I had been since I was a kid, you know, just even going to, you know, pay for a box of, you know, cake mix and some ingredients that I wanted to come up with to make interesting cakes you know, that was a risk if I wasn't going to, you know, make back my allowance money that I used to invest into these ingredients to make cakes, uh, all the way to, you know, college. Um, you know, I chose not to get a student job to pay for, you know, my expenses and I would rather built a business and that business evolved. Um, and, uh, by my senior year, by my last quarter, you know, I had a real legitimate music company. And was working with major brands, major music com music companies, um, and you know, there's like you said, you know, there's the the um, the idea that this might not work out, but I didn't let that make that let, allow that idea to stop me from trying. And the other thing, which knowing a bit of your journey, that it also seemed that you shifted from the "I am the secret sauce inside my company." to looking at companies that you could take yourself out of. But I think through college, you were the secret sauce in a lot of these uh, ventures, your initiative, your connections, being able to put something together uniquely, and then moved into more of a, a tech facilitated, I can build something someone else can use. Is that part of your journey story? 100%, yes. Um, because I think when, you look, when I look back at the various businesses that I've started. And I've had some very interesting um, business ideas. There was one called Google Mannequins. I remember I still have the logo for that. <laughs> Google and Mannequins. I, and, and, I, and I still have the promotional video because when I used to um, promote clubs, nightclubs in Hollywood, um, they had Google dancers and some of them were my friends. And I also did, I also had a marketing company at the same time, a marketing consultancy at the same time. This is also, I was a student at UCLA at this time, but uh, as a marketing had a marketing uh, business and I would help local businesses with their marketing, whether restaurants or retail. Um, and 
for one retail shop on Melrose Boulevard, <clears throat> we put go-go dancers in the window. Um, as, and we took out the, the, the mannequins and put go-go dancers in the window. And, there, and then the business was called go-go mannequins. <laughs> so it would draw attention to the storefront and therefore drive traffic into the store. Um, and that would wow. and increase sales. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. So that was one of my one of my ventures. I still have the little promotional video for this. So there's a lot of different, just kind of interesting. Um, the, the difference is that these were these were solutions, you know, very specific solutions to um, an issue, right? The, the, you know, our objective for the retail store is to drive revenue, um, to increase foot traffic. Um, and, and the solution to that was to put go-go dancers in the, in the, in the window, um, and wearing what the mannequins would have been wearing. Um, and I had a lot of different businesses like that. And like you said, I was a secret sauce, right? It was a creative execution. Uh, it wasn't a product that I left, you know, that someone can sell, that someone could buy. So when I shifted in 2012 to start working on my first tech startup, which also came out of you know, dealing with um, trying to build a solution to a problem. Um, my first music text company was called Songbank. Um, and it came out of this issue that I had when I, at the time I was managing songwriters. I had a small publishing company, um, and a small management company, and a record label. I was managing songwriters. <laughs> Not that you really needed more to do, right? So, right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so funny because, I mean, there's there's interesting lack of research on the fact that many people in creative industries have or run many different companies and wear different hats. So you're kind of an interesting example. Yeah. Of that. Yeah. Simultaneously, because I actually had a day job and, the, and running those businesses was not my main, um, was not my primary income, nor was it, you know, what took up most of my time during the day. Um, I had a day job as a VP of marketing and, strate and strategic partnerships of a retail chain. Um, but at my role and the dynamic of my role at this particular company was one in which I could create and execute on ideas. Um, it was very much a intrapreneurship opportunity where I could um, develop concepts for the company and execute those concepts and lead the execution of those concepts. So for example, um, this company is called Chic Shoes and uh, it was a great opportunity for me that I got right out of college from UCLA, um, coming in as their as their head of marketing, and then eventually becoming their uh, with the director of marketing, then eventually becoming their VP of marketing and strategic partnerships. But I could pitch ideas to the owner, and one of those ideas was called Chic Music, which was to develop a platform to support artists who were uh, local to our our, our retail stores. Um, and we had some artists who are now pretty established, um, who are you know big artists now. The artists that um, you know, I, I met early on, like Kendrick Lamar and um, an artist named YG and Ty Dolla Sign, who are all major recording mm -hmm. artists signed to major labels now, who were you know young um, teens or early twenties um, when I met them, uh, who were local to you know, who lived near uh, Chic, Chic Store, but um, I came up with a lot of ideas. Uh, at Chic, and one of those was I was starting to develop just as I got laid off. I started to think about how we could um, improve our music video experience in our stores. Um, and, uh, and, at the, and at the time, the company 
uh, acquired another company, um, had more employees and so forth, and I ended up getting laid off as a part of the acquisition. But the founder of the company, the owner, hired me and my company to execute on another uh, project for him. Um, and in that opportunity, during that time, I was you know, started to think more about how can I, how can we improve the music video experience in the store? So I started developing an in-store music video network, um, looking at all the competitors and what they were offering price point wise, service wise, technology wise, and started to think about how, you know, what I could offer to medium, small to medium size, um, retail chains and individual, uh, you know, franchise stores. And I started, you know, I started to build, um, what was called. Uh, Maven Promo, which is an in-store music video network, and went and talked to labels about promoting artists and so forth. And that was the co first company I sold. Um, I ended up selling that uh, a couple, several years later. It was five years later, and that was the first um, music tech company that I sold. And that started this what became a series of music tech companies or tech companies within the music industry. I think it's a better way of describing it um, that I founded and then later. Um, sold, but the other two acquisitions were a little bit more, um, uh, a little bit more interesting. <laughs> and, and, I, and I don't know why my it. my brain went to crunchy. Uh, <laughs> that the, there was texture to the departure, and yes. then how you learn from it, right? Um, but it, you, I mean, you teach entrepreneurship now and how to start a business. If you look at how you started that first company that you sold. Would you tell yourself something different? I mean, did you do a business plan? Did you do a market scan? Did you did you do kind of a logical start to it, or did you really start that business now different than you would have today? Well, that's interesting that you ask ask that because I think most entrepreneurship um, professors of any kind we teach uh, fundamental principles about entrepreneurship, and we and we teach um, you know methodologies that that I think the business industry or the business sector, especially in, in academia, subscribe to as theory um, um, or as practical um, and have real life implications, especially if you work in a consultancy firm. Uh, but the, the first you know, 10 businesses that I founded did not, uh, I didn't go through the same process that I teach um, or the process that I um, utilize it with my consulting clients in terms of de having deliverables that are SWATs or market research or competitive analysis and things like that. Um, uh, SWATs, strength, weakness, opportunity, threats are just a, a I was going to say bare bones, but they can be sophisticated. What's happening internally and externally to your organization. Right. Um, so the first, you know, I didn't know those concepts. So to suggest that I went through, um, you know, a pesto analysis or environmental analysis or, you know, understanding the market size and the, the TAM, we all talk about the total adjustment market. Um, uh, we're going fast through those comments. So yeah. pesto, we've got looking at the political, economic, societal, technological, and whatever people put on that values yeah. or whatever. So we yeah, look legal. at the, the, yeah. the, look at the future opportunity set. And then what was the last one you just said? So I said the the, the pestle analysis, the you mm -hmm. know, the SWOT analysis, um, and then you know there's a number of various you know theories or frameworks that um, you know uh, that we academic-y people tell people to go through. But then right. you started this company mostly saying there was an opportunity. Right, I started with the opportunity. The opportunity uh, came out of my real world problems. Right, so I was already a 
it's interesting because a lot of the all of the technical that all the tech that the technology businesses that I've created came out of the actual problem that I faced already um, and needed to create a technical solution for. So when I created the Maven promo, the the, the digital in-store music video network was because for five years or uh, for actually 20 something years, um, you know, the retail chain had been using CDs or VHS tapes before that to receive and distribute music videos to stores, which caused a lot of problems. Um, for example, the, you know, this, the DVD would be, uh, it was scratch up because it'd be overused. Um, they couldn't get new music more frequently. So as an employee, you're hearing the same playlist of music, um, over and over. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, but with something that was cloud-based and at the time, you know, the idea of building a cloud-based venture, um, was very popular and we were using cloud, you know, the, the term in the cloud and all that stuff. Uh, so to build a cloud-based music video network enabled us to uh, address, you know, some of these, uh, this problem, right? The value proposition was very clear. Um, and yes, I did do um, a competitive analysis in terms of looking at who else was in the, in the space, providing music for retail, what, what was the cost, what were their features, you know, what were the service offering? Um, so I did some of the stuff, but not all of the stuff. I, I went, I started working on this before I went to grad school. When I went to grad school, um, I actually took a you know class on um, uh, management and entrepreneurship, and um, so I learned more concepts. And those concepts I was able to apply later on to other businesses, and also in my consulting work. Um, yeah, I went to um, CSUN, California State University, Northridge, to get a master's in music industry administration. Um, this particular uh, degree program uh, was a joint venture uh, between the, um, the Mike Curb College, uh, which, which housed the music industry program. Um, so we took uh, music industry courses, uh, but also the David Nazarian School, uh, School of Management, which housed the MBA program and all the other sort of business economics uh, uh, programs. So we took traditional MBA classes um, from financial and managerial accounting to um, organizational management um, and what you would take getting an MBA with marketing uh, and then entrepreneurship. And, um, you know, I was able to do a couple of things. One is to put a name or a concept to things that I was already doing and just didn't know it. Um, and then also better frameworks around things that I was currently doing and, and didn't do it from the perspective of here's something laid out as a framework to, 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 to do this thing, like the SWOT analysis, for example. Um, I understood what my strengths and weaknesses were. I didn't know what a SWOT analysis was. Uh, so to take concepts and to be able to, um, you know, I think bring, bring some of the work that I was already doing into a conceptual framework that had much more context i was able to understand um, and that that was what happened in, in, in grad school is that i simply just learned more about um, uh, business from from a uh, theory standpoint um, and was able to then look at the different tools and i call them tools and i when i teach i call them tools i said these are, these are all tools for building and establishing your business um, a business idea and vetting the idea. So yeah, it, it was, it was certainly a, um, a, a process um, that 
I kind of picked up over time um, while I was simultaneously you know, starting businesses and getting better and better over time um, from the lessons I uh, was able to learn in my setbacks and failures, but also in the lessons I was able to take from you know, the frameworks and uh, that I was able to gather as a, as a grad student. So what have you learned that you can publicly share about selling for companies? Yes, and this is super key. <laughs> so, you know, I've been working as a mentor or an advisor to startups over the last several years, um, some through programs like the South by Southwest Music, which I've done for, four, I don't know, four or five years. Um, I'm also a mentor through the Capital Music Group G Beta Music Tech Accelerator um, since they since it's been founded. So I've done about, I think they've had three cohorts. They're in their third cohort right now. And I just mentored, I'm currently mentoring some of those founders. Um, I've mentored founders and other accelerator programs and so forth. But what I like to let all founders understand is that you need to vet your investors and you need to vet your buyers um, very well. Um, and I say this because you, you can get very excited as a founder of, of having an acquisition, um, you know, especially if you want to have an acquisition as opposed to, you know, doing a fire sale out of a need to, um, you know, um, make sure that your bills are paid or that your, you know, that your business isn't going under. But um, when you're doing an exit, you want to make sure you vet your investors and your, um, I'm sorry, vet your buyers. And if you're getting investors, you want to vet your investors. And that's, that's all I can say on that. <laughs> vet, <laughs> vet your investors and vet your, your buyers. Make sure that you're aligned. Um, in, in regards to investors, you want to make sure that you're aligned. You know, what you as a founder see as the future of your uh, business is aligned with what your investors uh, b believe they want to support and, and invest into. Um, you want to, uh, in terms of investors, you also want to make sure that they are who they say they are and that they have the resources that they say they have. Um, so well, I would also say that there's always surprises. So even though you can vet people, there still are things. I mean, to me, it's a little like getting married in the fact that, you know, you think you know somebody and then right. when you're actually having to work with them, suddenly it's the, and I've been happily married for 30 something years. We still learn things about each other, but it still is the, uh, I think I know this, but you still need to kick the tires as much as humanly possible. But there's things that you're surprised about all the time in people that you're doing business with. It's just such a definitive thing when you're selling a company. Right. Yes. Um, I think that you need to do something. <laughs> you can't do nothing. <laughs> you know, and I'm saying this because I did nothing. Right. So the first time, you know, the lesson that I learned is that the first time um, I let my company get acquired, we didn't do any vetting whatsoever of the buyer. Um, and this was not a um, acquisition where we where we walked away as uh, founders. It was an acquisition where we also got hired as employees. Um, so you had to then work for the company that owned your company. And then that's where we start to learn more about the founders of that company and, and the company itself. So it's really important that you vet your uh, investors, um, and then also vet your buyers. Um, there's, there's been scenarios where 
Um, you know, you want to make sure that your buyer has the resources that they say they have to continue to execute on the vision that you've, that you've come to align with. Um, so there's a, there's an entire process now that I could, you know, write up and obviously I have written it up because I'm now teaching about it, but you need to make sure that, um, you know, there's alignment, um, between, you know, where you see the roadmap, like what is the product roadmap? Where do you see this going? What potential, you know, industries it will, uh, or what potential, um, um, you know, how you're going to differentiate or diversify or in enter new markets, all those questions. If you intend to be a part of the future of the business. Now, there are scenarios where you simply want to sell the business and be done with it. And you don't really care or don't care as much about where the new founder or where the new owner um, may take it. And then in which case you may not vet them more than making sure they have the finances to to close on the deal which is well, also hopefully really they're also going your 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 bequeathing phenomenal employees into this space too and clients as well so there is that right. sense of it but it's not as much as you're tied to it as having then a uh, a working contract that you have to stay to get paid out right yeah what you don't want to do at the end of the day what you don't want to do is have to buy back your company <laughs> so <laughs> which you've you done at least to... once so that's a whole nother podcast we could talk on that yes i've done it spend... twice <laughs> yes. um... i want to spend our last time talking about though how this turned into your now adventures so the the past couple of startups you've had that you've sold or that you have, have found new homes for have been looking at how artists deal with rights and how artists get their information into the system and finding money in systems. And I find it fascinating from that, that you then moved over into being the third, the head of third party partnerships for the MLC. So it's almost like you've taken all those superhero capabilities that you've earned and learned through and now are bringing them to a new venture that is working in, in essence for many different organizations to make this stuff happen. Can you talk a bit about what you're doing, what the MLC is, what you're doing there, and then how these superpowers are moving over? Sure. The MLC stands for the Mechanical Licensing Collective, and it is a nonprofit organization that has been designated by the United States Copyright Office to administer the new uh, blanket mechanical license, which is a license required um for digital service providers such as Spotify and Apple and Tidal to be able to um, play songs um, or to have songs made available um, on their platforms in the United States. Um, this license comes out of a legislation that passed in 2018 called the Music Modernization Act and the MLC, um, the idea of the MLC comes out of that act as well. So my role as one of the on the leadership team is the head of third party partnerships um, in that regard, I develop and execute the MLC's strategy for partnering with various types of organizations, companies, individuals, consortiums um, within the music industry for the purpose of uh, supporting and empowering um, publishers and self-administered songwriters who are our members. Um, also, to simply be active and engaged in the music industry as a thought leader, as a participant in the United States music industry, um, through edu through education, through um, um, uh, industry adv advancement opportunities, um, and so forth. Part of my role is also to engage with 
tech startups in the music rights space, which I've spent the last several years building software in that space and building startups in that space. Um, so I'm very um, knowledgeable about that space um, and the players in that space. Um, and my role is to um, interact with, with, with those companies and startups and, and figure out ways how to um, partner with them where it makes sense for for us at the MLC and, and, f and in terms of our support to publishers and songwriters. So one of the ways we're doing that is through an initiative called the Data Quality Initiative. And that initiative is, is about helping publishers um, check their catalog, music catalog data in bulk with the MLC um, to make sure that their uh, information is correct so that when we license, uh, when we um, receive royalties from digital services and have to account to publishers, we have the accurate information um, to, um, you know, to process their royalties. Um, so I am, I have been working over the last several months with a number of uh, companies that are, that have built technical solutions to support publishers, such as catalog management, um, or rights administration or royalty processing so that they can connect with us through this data quality initiative, um, yeah, on behalf of the, of, of their clients, which are publishers. Um, so it's, so that's one partnership, um, initiative, and we have a number of partners that we're going to be announcing, um, that we actually, we, we, we already announced earlier this year, um, the stacks, um, music maestro, which was the first example of what, um, the data quality initiative could look like. Um, and, uh, you know, we've recently brought on four other companies that, um, are, helping publishers at all levels. So Blocker, Tune Registry, Music Data Services, and Exactuals um, are companies that demonstrate um, my commitment and our commitment as an organization to support publishers at all levels um, because these services um, are economical and some of them are more expensive, uh, but it kind of goes back to our commitment to support publishers at all levels. So what's interesting is that my role is to come up with um, strategic partnerships. I'm also coming up with, with partnerships with other types of with organizations, membership organizations. Um, there's a really there's two companies that I'm talking to that are um, supporting um, Latin music creators um, specifically in terms of um, you know, uh, making sure that there's content in Spanish to, for them to understand um, what the license is or, or, or their or their rights to join. Um, I have a initiative, uh, called the cultural partnerships where we're standing up, you know, I'm going to be standing up programs, um, to support music creators from historically marginalized communities, such as black music creators, Latinx music creators, LGBT music creators, and Asian music creators. And I've already began, um, outreach to organizations, um, and, and all those little categories, um, as well as individuals who are sort of thought leaders in those in those um, categories so it's bringing you know all these things um that i've done in the past you know creating strategic ideas creating synergy between two or more organizations launching those you know realizing those synergies in the form of initiatives and programs um vetting companies um to partner with um creating ideas around technologies such as apis that can interact with our portal with MLC. Uh, so a lot of things that I've done over the years um, is all kind of bundled up 
into this role. And, and as a matter of fact, when I read the job description for this role, <clears throat> I emailed uh, my boss, who well, at the time it was my boss, but the CEO, Chris, and I said, this is a really exciting job description. It, it's, it just, I was like, it, it's so befitting of me in my, in my background. And, and he tells me that, yeah, I spent hours studying your LinkedIn and, and your website and built this role for you um, based off of, you know, your background in the music industry and your, you know, your role as a serial entrepreneur and your role as an advisor and mentor to startups. Um, you know, it all kind of comes together in this role. So it's a really exciting role. Um, it's one that I didn't, you know, I didn't really have any, um, on my kind of trajectory when I'm, when I was in high school, I didn't think I'd be working for a quasi governmental nonprofit, but I am. Um, but it's doing the things that I've been doing um, for many years um, um, and, and in a way that really has an impact on um, a lot of publishers and songwriters in the U.S. So it was really exciting. Do you get a chance to sing anymore? <clears throat> yes, my shower still exists. So <laughs> <laughs> I actually went to uh, a friend of mine hosted a small little karaoke gathering last night, very last minute. And... Um, we we had fun doing that. I actually put a few stories on my Instagram, um, but um, yeah, I, I haven't pursued singing as a as a talent as an artist. Um, I do remember I, when I was my first job outside of UCLA after I graduated at UCLA was at Chic Shoes as a marketing manager, and um, I developed their music category, and that included everything from actually selling music in, in, in the in the stores, physical CDs, to developing our music download store online, overseeing the development of it, um, actually des des designing the wireframes for what it looked like. Um, but one of the things I did was started a, um, a multi-city talent search. And through that talent search, you know, we went into the malls, I, I set up a stage, um, and we auditioned, um, you know, we allowed youth to submit to this talent search that we we're doing and with Reebok as a partner, as, as, a, as a sponsor. And I had judges and I remember just listening to, um, you know, the, 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 the various contestants, um, very American Idol style. And just, just kind of having flashbacks to when I was an aspiring artist and going to those things. Um, and now I'm on the other side, creating these platforms, creating these opportunities um, to empower and support artists. Uh, but I do remember, and it's been, you know, I've had those little moments all the time, even when I managed artists and was in the studio with artists as they're recording their projects. Um, and, you know, and my role as the executive producer to finance that studio time, to finance that, <clears throat> that, um, that, uh, makes an engineer to pay for the release of that album. Um, so it was interesting just kind of looking back at that transition from, you know, when I was the. The, the aspiring artist to, you know, when I moved to this role of empowering and investing in aspiring artists. So Day, you have, and we've only touched on some of your adventures, but we're the, we're pretty much at the end of our conversation. Who would you like to reach out to you? How should they reach out? And is there anything we haven't touched yet that we might have time for? <clears throat> yes. So um, if, if you are listening and you work in the music publishing space and you're a publisher um, or if you are an artist and you own your own copyrights um, you should certainly reach out to me in regards to the mlc the mechanical licensing collective um, beyond that 
Um, you know, I have a number of free resources online um, for music industry entrepreneurs um, who want to, you know, who have questions about licensing or marketing or, you know, building go-to-market strategies or, you know, understanding what a competitive analysis is. All these little things, um, I do have resources online. Um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, just search Dave Bogan. I think I'm the only one. <laughs> and um, you can also connect with me on um, social medias, which is Dave Bogan Music. Uh, it's Dave Bogan Music on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. And, um, you know, anyone I think who is is um, either a music creator and, and, and would potentially need to join the MLC, um, or, you know, a, a founder of a company that, um, needs to, or would like to learn more about, you know, the way that I teach entrepreneurship and, and, and what I've done in, in my past, um, I can point to some resources potentially. Great. And we'll have that stuff in the show notes. Day, thank you very much for joining us and thanks for sharing just the the tip of the iceberg at your adventures. We'll we'll try to have you back on to dig even deeper in some of this stuff. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Day. Well, there's the adventure. I hope you found this inspirational. If you are interested, please find them to participate in their work through our show notes or their social media and come back to future episodes of Creative Innovators to get inspired in your work. And if you'd like to rebuild your career, come find us at nextcareer.me to take our next career program to figure out what you might do as your new adventures as a creative innovator. Thanks for listening to Creative Innovators. We are expanding our footprint. So we invite you to go to creativeinnovatorspodcast.com and find us on Substack, where we are creating a new matrix of our past shows that you can find them more easily and find them along with the career adventure guide content, where you can take your own career and use some of the tools in the setup to both be inspired by past episodes of Creative Innovators, as well as become a bigger and better creative innovator yourself. We're also launching in a couple of other platforms this year. So stay tuned and join our lists and and find out where else you can find and combine with creative innovators in 2024.